Welcome to League of Lit, where we discuss books, adaptations, and anything else we wish to talk about and tie it to lit. Because, well, we can. Yes. That was a very aggressive sigh at the end of that, sorry. That was a little more on the dramatic side, which I guess you could say we're diving into the dramatics of this particular series we're contending with. Yeah, this book was really a uh, kind of a turning point in the tone, I think, of this series. I mean, if you think about it, we're getting more into the teen, deeper into the teen years and teen angst all the way, all the way. And terrible teen haircuts. We're going to talk about that later. But before we get much further, uh, I should make sure that you know it is a truth universally acknowledged that we are not a spoiler-free podcast. No, we are going to spoil all of the things. But this book has been out for 21, 21 years. So it can legally drink now. The book can. <laughs> <laughs> the main character has been old enough for a hot minute. Well, at least in the U.S., I should clarify that because technically the book could legally drink beforehand if you it was what? anywhere we're else the, but the u.s the united states so <laughs> we're going off of the united states not the point of this conversation no. at all so we are discussing today finally i'm finally excited because i've mentioned it in pretty much every other episode of the series that we've talked about um we're finally going to talk about harry potter and the goblet of fire Ooh, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> <Do> chills <laughs> I always think of the ring of fire from Finding Nemo whenever anyone, just like anything of fire. The ring of fire! It, it just, it feels like it needs that kind of inflection. It's not a, it's not a bad thought process because there is in fact a ring around the Goblet of Fire. This is true. So Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, uh, the book came out July 8th of 2000. Y2K. Mm. Lots of weird things happening in the year 2000. But apparently not as weird as the year 3000, according to Busted or Jonas Brothers, whichever version of the song you listen to. Yes, both are very legitimate versions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but back to Harry Potter. I have been waiting to talk about this book. This is my favorite Harry Potter book. Why is this your favorite? I just think that the story really got more interesting here like i think prisoner of Azkaban was very interesting probably mm-hmm. like one of my like top you know three um we got a lot of information in this book mm-hmm. we also didn't get a lot of information in this book which is just like how this series works like you don't find anything out until really the end um because i haven't read anything else that jk rowling has written i don't know if that's just her style She's written other things. <laughs> I think no. she's written like one other thing. I've read all of her Harry Potter stuff. Right. No, this Casual Vacancy was a book that she wrote, which is an adult book. Oh, um, I've never read that. Um, also, I think that the way she expanded the wizarding world in this one was really impressive because we did get to meet a lot of other people. We kind of got a look at... Because, you know, I think for a long time, everybody was like, oh, it's just Hogwarts. Just Hogwarts. And no, we're over here learning that we got Bobatin and Durmstrang. And I'm like, what are these people? Where are you hanging out? Well, and one of the How things do I get I, there? One of the things that I was curious about as I was rereading the book and rewatching the movie, are there actual other wizarding schools and it just happened to be that these were the three that were getting together to do this tri-wizard tournament or are these the only three because as you continue in the world of Pottermore you find out that there is an American one called Ilvermorny I think honestly at the time she meant for it to be these three I do believe that she may have expanded afterwards because I don't think she ever specifically states these are the only three wizarding schools. Right. I think she states these are the three wizarding schools that are competing in the Triwizard Tournament. Mm-hmm. So I think it's likely that she thought these were going to be the only three. And then she sort of realized that her fan base was bigger than she thought. 
Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, I should probably let other people have this. Because, like, in reality, these three schools are all located in Europe. So it's not an extremely diverse as far as, like, area goes. Right. Because obviously Europe is still very diverse. But it's not an extremely diverse area because as far as we are aware, as an American, we can't go to Hogwarts. Right. So I thought it was interesting sort of the the look that we get at everything mm-hmm. in this one, because we even learn more about the ministry in this one. Um, even more again about Voldemort in this one and sort of his past and Harry's past with him. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably why this is my favorite book. Okay. It's just a load of information. It's like 636 pages of information, at least in the first edition. I only know that because I am looking at that information on my screen. Um, <laughs> I don't just memorize how many pages the Harry Potter books are. Do we want to do like what we did with Prisoner of Azkaban and just kind of go do it side it by side? Like, yeah, interlock things. Mm-hmm. And obviously, as we're getting to people who are new, as far as the movie goes, we can talk about who plays them and such. So the movie was released November 18th, 2005, which, you know, just five years after the book came out. And it was directed by Mike Newell and was written by Steve Cloves. So there could be a lot of why Steve moments. Um, honestly, the whole movie is a why Steve moment for me. Or it could be a why Mike moment. I don't know. It could be either way. It could be writer or director. Either one. Why people would you allow this movie to be to just 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 ignore? So many things that are important. And by important, I mean they're important to me (laughs) about the book. (laughs) But yes, let's... Well, I will say, like, the the opening of the movie really represents, like, the first chapter of the book quite well. um, Because it is... It takes place in the Riddle House, which we don't necessarily know that that's what it is. In the movie... We know that's what it is in the book because that's literally the title. Uh, like, that's literally the title of the chapter. It's yeah. The Riddle House. And we don't really know. Um, like, the the book goes into a lot of details about Frank, who is the person that we're getting this whole, like, section of the movies, like, in the perspective from. And, like, every now and then we get to, like, see his face. But it doesn't really... But we don't really get a whole lot of like, oh, this is the importance of this. This is the importance of this person. Like, it just feels like it's a random bystander, personally. And from the like book to movie thing, there is an extra person in the room with Voldemort and Wormtail, which are the only two that I remember being like fully aware, like were in the room but i could be wrong you may remember it differently i didn't fully pay attention if we're being honest i'm pretty sure that was my take as well and i mean like they don't talk about bertha jorkins who is only mildly important she just like provided some information and they talk about how they killed her um in the first chapter but she's not even like a mention in no. the movie. No, she so that shows how important she actually is. Yeah. And then they go from that. We completely skip over all of the stuff with the Dursleys that happen. Uh, yeah. In the next couple of chapters. go We just show up with Harry's already at the burrow with the Weasleys and Hermione. And it's the day they're going to the Quidditch World Cup. How exciting i don't care for sports probably said this before don't like sports i would watch quidditch honestly it felt very much that of um just like the world cup for soccer yeah like everything that surrounded at least when it was on screen Mm -hmm. and to an extent like the way that they like describe it in the book as far as like the excitement that's around it not necessarily like the sport itself quidditch is its own thing Um, yeah but like I don't know. I just felt very similar. 
because I'm we sure have had a couple she, of World Cups, like it feels similar to it. Yeah, I'm sure she sort of mimicked that because like obviously in the UK, they really like soccer or football for them. Um, mm-hmm. So it wouldn't shock me if she just mimicked the sort of hype and the environment for that event because it's something that people of the UK would really understand. Yeah, no, it, it makes total sense. Uh, and it's when they're on their way, that's when we meet officially in the movie, because technically we've already met this character in the previous book, Cedric Diggory, <gasps> who is played by Robert Pattinson, which he has been on record to state that he would much rather play Cedric Diggory again, as opposed to playing Edward Cullen again, if given the opportunity. We would all be fine with that. Please come back and play Cedric Diggory again. I don't know what for, but uh, we'll find something to put you in. <laughs> there was not enough Cedric Diggory in this book or this movie, which is interesting because like he's actually kind of a focal character. But there could have been more. Um, yeah, we also get introduced to a port key here, which is very interesting concept where they enchant an object and you touch the object and it sort of teleports you to a new place. Mm-hmm. Which is very fun. Very sort of new new brand of magic. Yes. Which looks um, like the worst roller coaster ride on the planet. I'd be <laughs> fine if we never did that. <laughs> One of the things we do kind of miss out on with the way that it jumps to that, because we don't get to see some of the stuff that happens in the borough, which, I mean, like they, in the movies, they never casted Charlie Weasley. They didn't, which is disappointing. But, but this is the book that Charlie appears the most, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because he um, works with the dragons. Right, which is like mentioned a bunch. Like they mention that Charlie works with dragons, but we never get to see him. It's foreshadowing. Um, yeah, it is really disappointing that they casted pretty much all of the other Weasleys minus Charlie. They were like, mm, we don't need him. Mm-hmm. I don't know what their thought process was. I don't know. I don't know what their thought process was at all in this movie. So yes, I'm the wrong person. <laughs> and I mean, like everything kind of moves rather quickly with the with the World Cup. I mean, there we don't get to meet Ludo Bagman, who seems to be kind of a, a relatively important character mm-hmm. in in the book, but he does not exist at all in the movie. No. Um, essentially, they had. Cornelius Fudge take all of what Ludo Bagman was like supposed to do and I don't I guess that was just so they didn't have to cast another person but yeah probably for ease so that you didn't have to learn any of his story because I mean Ludo Bagman in the book because I mean he's the head of the Department of Magical Games and Sports yes um and he is literally supposed to help organize and judge the Triwizard Tournament. Mm-hmm. But he's also, like, a gambler. And I don't think they wanted to, like, deal with having to try to explain all that. They were already like, we've already cut so much out of this book. Yeah. <laughs> Get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's probably why that happened. Yeah. We do get to meet Barty Crouch. Oh. Which I don't fully remember, like, what is whole role is in the wizarding world but he's played by roger lloyd pat i mean i think barty crouch's role specifically in this movie is that he's barty crouch's junior's father (laughs) yes that feels like his entire existence his entire existence is that his son was barty crouch jr that's it who in in this movie is played by david Tennant. love him which we get to see barty crouch jr cast the dark mark in this one where when it comes to the whole everything's on fire essentially like quite literally uh at the world cup like we don't there is no indication of who it might have been outside of a house elf was found with harry's wand yeah like there there's literally no no indication, but like we actually get to see Barty Crouch Jr. not knowing that that's who that is at that point in time. Yeah. Um, cast this dark mark. Um, in all honesty, like 
the house elf that is kind of somewhat important um, in this book is Winky and mm-hmm. not not a character at all in the movies. Yeah, they just didn't think that house elves were important in this movie. And um, Hermione and the people at Spew would really like to have a conversation about how that's um, house elf erasure. And we don't do that. I'm so offended that they cut out Spew. Would you like to explain what Spew is? Oh, yes. I will explain what Spew is for those of you who have never read the book. So Spew is the Society for the Promotion of Elfish welfare and Hermione decides to start it after seeing Barty Crouch Sr.'s treatment of Winky his house elf and then she sort of like I think notices it all around because Hermione is a, a mudblood to put it quite plainly so she's not used to the idea of house elves they're not something she didn't grow up having house elves so I think I mean, they're literally little tiny slaves like it's not nice. So she decides to make Spew, the Society for the Promotion of Elfish, War- Elfish Warfare, and uh, say that, like, at all fast, because it's difficult to say, and um, spends a lot of time this year on Spew. Which, I mean, the things that the things that you get to learn because of that whole plot line is more about, like, house elves and their culture, which yeah from what i gather because it's literally what everybody else says and it's also just evident in like the way that they act that's literally like what brings them joy they love to just serve yeah and it to in the like dobby is like the one exception where he's like no i i want to be paid now i i've been freed i want to be paid um but the rest of them are like, no, it's an insult to be paid. Like, we just want to do this. There's some real social commentary that could come out of this, and I don't think we need to get into it on this podcast. No. But, like, um, I'm all for spew. Um, I'm happy that she shortened the name because stop the outrageous abuse of our fellow magical creatures and campaign for a change in their legal status is a really long name. And I'm impressed that you had that at least in your notes so you could read it. I, I wrote it down. Um, <laughs> um, but without, I mean, Dobby's not in this film, which he's in the book. Mm-hmm. And Winky not really being in the film, there just isn't the opportunity, which is sad mostly because it's kind of a funny storyline and it's a little bit lighter on top of all of the like sort of dark things that are happening. Mm-hmm. So I am. And it could be that they just felt like because as you notice, as like the movies go on, they do get darker. Literally and figuratively. Yes. And so there's not a whole lot of space for the warm and fuzzies. They also just kind of saved all the warm and fuzzies for the Yule Ball, which we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Um, Um, So after the World Cup, they literally like hop right into them going to Hogwarts and in the movie, and I'm sure it's just for the sake of pace, they have the Bobatons and the Durmstrang students show up at the, on the same day that all the Hogwarts students are showing up. Yeah, it's sort of this very, and it um, and part of the reason why I don't like the movie is that this all feels very rushed. How like, hello, welcome to Hogwarts, welcome back. Uh, by the way, we're going to be competing in this triward tournament thing. And um, these are the other students that you're going to be competing against. Uh-huh. Like, that's how it felt in the movie. Because they were like, we need to get to the Triwizard Cup. How do we shorten this? Mm-hmm. We're just going to introduce these people and it's going to be very aggressive. And we're also going to make each of them gendered schools, which they're not. They're not. They're I would like to point mixed. out that... Bo Batten's most famous alumni is Nicholas Flamel, who was a man. It just felt odd. I was like, why are we, like, making these schools a, just seem like a rushed, like, there's no explanation in the movie of, like, anything, really. Yeah. Other than, like, suddenly we're like, oh, look, there's Fleur and there's Victor. They're the two important people we care about. Yeah. That's it. The things that we, like, miss because of how it jumps up, like, we don't get to see 
the Daily Prophets um, report on the event with the Death Eaters at the World Cup. Um, we don't get to hear. Uh, they kind of mention it when it comes to um, when like Mad Eye Moody uh, enters in, but like we don't get to hear about the incident, which like is something that happens before they go to the platform to like hop on mm-hmm. and and go to uh to everything but like so we also miss like everyone hinting at this event that like everyone else seems to know about but like the students like the at least the trio have no idea like what it's what's going on i feel um, like they don't have any idea what's going on at all in this movie <laughs> the three yeah. of them are like hello who what what's yeah. the voldemort i ain't never heard of that <laughs> um you mentioned mad eye moody brendan gleason plays um mad eye moody who Which- is sufficiently mad i think is a great <laughs> he's got some uh some interesting ticks there oh like the funny part is is he's the father of domino gleason who plays bill weasley yeah and general hawks however you want to what whichever uh, whichever way, way they're very go, they're completely like, different characters 100 <laughs> percent yeah, and and Mad Eye Moody um, in this is the new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. Because you're never going to have the same one twice. For whatever reason, we can't stick with one long enough. It's a cursed position. The whole like Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson that we like it's in the book, and we we do get it in the movie. It feels different in the movie than it is in the book when he's talking about the unforgivable curses. Mm. Like. Hermione's reluctant to give the last one where in the book she gives it freely because and I I'm not really I'm sure that was like cinematically to sort of make it ooh scary don't use the unforgivable curses but like mm-hmm. Hermione wouldn't be shy about giving that information out because it's something she read in a book she's not like using well, it against somebody it's just information this is true it feels interesting how like sometimes you can have that level of unspoken magic that happens. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I would feel like, okay, well, if you can do magic without a wand and without even speaking words, I would think you'd also be able to cast curses without wands. But, you know, it just, but it's I one think- of those weird little things that doesn't quite yeah. make sense. I also just think that there's not, an, and I think we just talked about this when we were talking about Prisoner of Azkaban, there's not enough discussion in the books or the movies as far as wandless magic goes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's to our detriment as viewers and readers because we're sitting here going, but Hermione can do wandless magic. So if she says the thing, is it possible she can accidentally do wandless magic? But nobody's ever explained that to us. But since we're on the unforgivable curses... For anybody who doesn't know, we'll just list the three curses. Um, I can never say the one that starts with a C. It's very difficult for my mouth to get it out. Cruciatus. Thank you. Um, the That one, which just causes unbearable pain. The Imperius, which allows um, the user to control the victim. Mostly just the actions. I believe it's not like your thoughts or anything. And then the killing well, curse. It, it, the Imperious curse, like you, um, they sh- give you the example in the book mm-hmm. where everyone's getting to kind of experience it a little bit. Harry fights it. Yeah. And because we're getting the everything like kind of from the perspective of Harry, even though it's third person, you know, yada, yada, we've done this before. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, like, you are getting to see how, like, he feels everything like during that experience but he's fighting it and he's fighting it rather successfully i would imagine it sort of feels almost like a puppet where you have strings Mm -hmm. and you're like tugging on the strings when you're fighting it obviously if you're not fighting it you would just be you would just be being a puppet um the last one is the killing curse which shockingly kills you and everybody knows those words that is Um, even if you like aren't necessarily in the fandom you've heard them because it's on so many different things yeah i don't know why we decided to put killing words on we we're like i thought i could offer on everything and i'm like wait a second those are not good words so we get the information on the triwizard tournament 
kind of a little bit of what it's all about. Obviously, in the book, they go into a little bit more detail. So essentially what happens is everyone of age, everyone of age, 17 or older, which at this point would be 17, barely 18, depending on how schooling um, things work there, um, will put their name, they'll write it down, strip of parchment, and put it into the goblet of fire. And once all of that is done, the goblet will spit out. I think spit is a very good interpretation of the last yes. name we get, but um, we'll flame out, flame on um, <laughs> three names, one uh, student from each school. Yes. Which the goblet is so smart if it can keep track of all those students. It's a wizarding thing, so. Well, and like the book doesn't really tell you if they have different like pieces of yeah like like what if it's like different textured or whatever but in the movie they did it's very distinct differences between the three schools yes um and so we get in the movie um several instances of students walking up to the goblet and um trying to put their name in the fire when they are not eligible yes (laughs) but also students walking up to it when they are eligible Right. Well, and like in the movie, we only get to see the Weasley twins do yes, their try. Mm. Uh, aging potion to try and fool the age line that surrounds the cup. So that way, no one who is not of age can put their name in the, in the goblet. And w- we do get to see in the movie, which I mean, is obvious, it would be kind of stupid if they didn't show each of our champions putting their name. Yes. The foreshadowing is heavy. As far as the champions goes in the book and in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, there's a a scene of Cedric Diggory putting his name into the Goblet of Fire both ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with Fleur, uh, Fleur de la Cruz. Can't say her name either. Who's played by Clemence Posey, I believe is how you say her name. There is like there are certain accents on She's her name. French and I did not take French in high school. Um, I took it in college and I still couldn't tell you because yeah. I don't remember. And also uh, Victor Crumb, who is not on there. Uh, Victor Crumb is played by S- Stanislav Yanevsky. Yanevsky. That's very Stanley Yelnets. <laughs> <laughs> his what? name almost looks the same backwards and forwards no it's sorry it's just me <laughs> but yes there are very much like look at this thing that's happening mm-hmm. moments with all three of them because when we do finally get to the reveal of the champions those three do end up being our champions plus a very special special fourth champion yes which they did make that entire instance more dramatic in the movie than they did in the book which i mean that's not out of question because you know it's a movie you have the freedom and space to make things more dramatic i mean yes it was very i mean that goblet literally spit that thing out like it did not want harry potter's name in it which didn't like scream like tampering with anybody because they don't like they don't really discuss it until after they've gone through it all and like they've, yeah they've brought all the champions into one space and everyone's like well we need to make sure that all the other schools also get to have have two champions because this isn't fair that hogwarts gets to have two yeah because they they stand firm on the fact that like the rules state whatever the goblet says is what's gonna happen yes because his name came out of the Goblet of Fire, he is bound to um, to be a part of the tournament. Um, yeah, which, in my assumption, is that they, I mean, that's old magic. That goblet is probably hella old magic. So I'm sure that they're like, no, I'm kind of scared of that goblet. <laughs> which is... Um, do you think possibly why we get such a dramatic performance from Dumbledore? This is one of my favorite things that Harry Potter fans don't like about this movie. Mm-hmm. 
is Dumbledore running into the room and like grabbing Harry. Did you put your name in the goblet of fire? Yeah. Because in the book, it is literally stated that he calmly asks. And I'm trying to figure out where we, but this man didn't read no book. But apparently neither did the writer <laughs> or the director or just anybody. Because <laughs> that was very aggressive. I will say, though, that the movie does kind of start planting the seed that maybe it's Mad-Eye Moody uh, with certain shots that they do. Because there's a shot of Mad-Eye Moody when um, when Harry's been selected that's like, did did he do it? Did he put Harry's name in the goblet? I mean, the foreshadowing is very strong in this movie. The foreshadowing is strong with this one. Um, <laughs> I think less so than others. Mm -hmm. Which feel like it, it could be a directorial or a, a, a screenwriter choice. Mm -hmm. Because a lot rewatching this movie, I was like, wow, y'all just told us who it was. Y'all just gave it away. 20 minutes into this movie. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I like a little intrigue. I like to have to work for it. That's <laughs> why I like dinner theater. <laughs> um, but after that, we get to meet Rita Skeeter. Oh, what a fun. Who could have fun. been played by Rosamund Pike, but she chose to play Jane Bennett instead. Uh, Love instead, that for her. Rita Skeeter was played by Miranda Richardson. Who I think is an excellent choice. Oh, I, I think she did quite well with the role. Which, uh, Rita Skeeter is another one that from the book to the movie, as much as I don't like Rita Skeeter, she does play sort of a sensational role in the story because she is the mm -hmm. one who sort of writes all of these headlines and gives us all of this false information, but also some factual information that we're wondering how she found out. But in the movie, we don't find out. <sighs> Disappointment. I mean, they well, just they don't they don't really play that much. Like the when they do choose to bring out those moments in the book, like instead of it being in Witch Weekly about Hermione, Harry, and Victor Crumb love triangle, um, it's just something that's like casually mentioned after yeah. the first uh the first task because they happen to get a photo of Hermione hugging Harry before he goes um to face a dragon. Yeah. Cuz that's what the first task is, which does not happen in the book. It really doesn't matter either way, honestly. It it it's fluff. And it's just a little annoying because she, even in some of the later books, she plays a little bit of a bigger role. And I think because they chopped her story and she doesn't, you know, we're not, we don't find out that she's an unregistered animagus and that she can transform into a beetle. And that's how she knows everything. Um, I think we miss out on some stuff later. No, I'd agree with that. I mean, leading up to the first task, Hagrid kind of makes it possible for Harry to know what the first task is. Um, Harry Potter cheating his way to the top. But Hagrid's also like, cause he has Harry hide under his invisibility cloak. So that way Hagrid can, you know, flirt his way with Madame Maxine, who is the headmaster or headmistress, I guess you would say, uh, of Bobaton. And Madame Maxine is played by uh, Francis de la Tour. Who's wonderful and very funny. She and Hagrid flirting with each other was very fun. It's awkwardly precious. Yeah, it's it's like you're like, oh, this is cute. <laughs> That's kind of a huge you know? question mark at the end of that. <laughs> cute, I guess. The the first task in the movie, there's a contrast, I think, between the first task and the last task in between the books and the movies. Because in the book, the first task, confined to the arena, you know, the Hungarian horn tail that Harry's fighting doesn't break free of its chains. 
and Harry gets the egg. Like it's it's a little bit more, it's a little less action packed. Right. Whereas in the book, when you get to the third task, um, there's a lot more that happens in the third task that in the movie we don't get to see. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of sad because I think the third task should be the one that's the most intriguing. Because it's the last one. It's the one that you win everything if you win this task. So. That's um, like presentation 101. They remember what they see first and they remember what they see last. And I think honestly thinking about the tasks, the third one kind of slips away. Because like obviously I know what happens at the end of the third task in this movie. But Mm -hmm. like. The the actual task, I was rereading the book. I was like, oh, my God, there's a, what? What? A riddle? No. We just go in and we, bad things happen. That's all that happens. Because that's kind of how it feels. They just simplified it, like, tremendously so we can get Whereas the to- first task, I'm like, he fights the Hungarian horn tail. They're on the top of the towers. Like, it's dramatic. I remember everything. Because it's dramatic. Right. This is where we first get to have the Accio, yes. Accio Firebolt because, you know, the only way that Harry was going to potentially be able to beat this dragon at all was by flying. Well, yeah, because he's not smart any other way. No offense. <laughs> he's not really smart any other way, but he's excellent on a broom. And it, like, and the thing with like the movie, they don't really tell you and I, I'm sure that's just to leave the ambiguous nature of like when these are happening because it just feels like, oh, it's happening one right after the other. Um, but like the, they tell you at the end of the first task that the second task is going to take place February 24th. Like the first task w- took place November 24th. What a gap between tasks. But like but this also was you happening, don't see that in the movie. But this was happening throughout the whole school year. The last task happens just a few weeks before term is done. No, I mean, it makes sense. That was one of the, I guess you could say, inviting aspects of being a part of the tournament because that exempted you from your final exams. Because essentially you were being quizzed and tested with these tasks. Yeah, in the most practical way. Mm -hmm. If you weren't passing your tasks, well, you probably did, so... One of my favorite scenes in this movie. I don't have a lot. But like one of my favorite scenes in this movie is Cedric Diggory going up to Harry Potter and telling him to go take a bath with his egg. <laughs> it's such a good moment. And, and Robert it- and Daniel play it so well. Because Dan is just confusion. Yeah. And Cedric's just like, just go take a bath. The prefix bathroom on the third floor is very nice. <laughs> and you're like... What are you telling this man to go take a bath? <laughs> y'all are being weird. <laughs> it's like y'all are yeah. being like shady. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's just funny. And then the bath scene is hilarity also. Yeah. Because we get to see the return of Moaning Myrtle. Every, this is favorite character, guys, if you couldn't tell by the inflection <clears> of her voice. It, I just don't know what her actual, like, Obviously, she serves the purpose as, like, the sounding board for Harry as he's trying to figure it out. Yeah. Because, Yeah, because you know. she tells him, she's like, the other guy went under the water with it, like. hmm And he's like, oh. Oh. But uh, I don't, uh, other than comedic relief, I don't think uh, Mooning Riddle, in this book, I think, obviously, when she was introduced, she had a purpose. But yeah, uh, after... The second this is book. the only, yeah, this is the only existence of her in this book. After the second book, she kind of just becomes comedic, really. Mm-hmm. She becomes the replacement for Peeves. <gasps> Don't talk about Peeves. At I'm least forever. from, at least like from the movie perspective. That's I am forever going to be upset about no Peeves in these movies. When they read it, when they decide to remake these. And you know, three hundred years or whatever. Um, y'all, please put Peeves in it. <laughs> well, but in this one, Peeves doesn't really serve much of a purpose. No, in the other ones. Yes, no, other ones absolutely, but this one not so. Obviously, much. In this one's a little different. We are on a different level, but um, mm-hmm. 
But before the the second task even happens, we have the Yule Ball. At least. Oh, yes. In the, uh, yes, because we have the whole, like, Christmas happens. Oh, my Because um, that's technically the when the Yule, Yule Ball happens is around Christmas time. The Yule Ball. Our introduction um, to, I think, uh, Ron figuring out his feelings for Hermione. It's small. It's small. It's there. It's like a minuscule. <laughs> it's like Ron being like, oh, wait a second. She's a girl. <laughs> you know? It's like that guy being like, wait a second. We've been friends with a girl this whole time. That's how it feels. But Ron is also uh, uh, far too immature for my taste. So making fun of him is how I, how I enjoy this. Yeah, well, like, the book um, lets us know because they don't even touch the topic at all, really. Um, or the way that they bring out the information for the Yule Ball in the movie is different, and I don't really remember if it matches what's in the book. Um, because in the movie, it's McGonagall teaching them all how to dance. Um, but in... Um, and the book is just like different tidbits leading up to it. And so like we know that it's only for fourth years and above. Um, and so they have to have dress robes, which, you know, Ron Weasley has the most embarrassing set of dress robes ever. First of all, Ron Weasley's dress codes are very retro and I would love to just fit them a little better to his body and they would work. Um, second of all, it's very convenient that it's fourth years and above. I mean... It's convenient. It's meant to be convenient. Like, we get to watch Ron and Harry kind of struggle to figure out who they're going to take to the Yule Ball. Yes, we do. I think it's fun. And this is, like, where it became a little bit more of a convenience that instead of splitting the Patel twins like they are in the book, which is one's in Gryffindor, the other's in Ravenclaw, they're both in Gryffindor and... Harry just kind of asks them both for him and Ron. Does that hurt your little Ravenclaw heart? No, it just feels weird. Because you have the whole like conversation in the book of like him asking, I think it's Padma. That's the Gryffindor. I, this is where, because yes. of the movie squishing them together, I can't remember. One of them, the one that's supposed to be Gryffindor. Like, there's a whole conversation that Harry has with her. Um, it's And, like, he's directly asking her to be. Mm -hmm. And then he also just, like, asks, like, do you know of anybody else? Because at the time, like, when he asks, like, Lavender's nearby. And, <laughs> and Lavender, like, Harry asks if, like, Lavender would. But, like, Lavender already has a partner. So, but, like, you miss that whole, like, little thing of literally, like, Ron essentially coming or Harry coming to Ron's rescue. In this, he really just screwed up in this one royally. They are brothers and brothers screw up. <laughs> also, like, before they even get to that part, um, we do see Harry try to ask Cho. Oh, Cho Chang. Which we briefly m mentioned Cho Chang in Azkaban because uh, she was, or she is the... She's part of the Ravenclaw Quidditch team. I don't remember yes. which position she is. Um, She's a seeker, isn't she? She might be. I don't remember. I could be wrong. I think maybe they are it all seekers. Matter. I don't remember. It doesn't Anyways, matter. Anyways, um, Cho Chang is played by Katie Lung. And so. Yeah. Um, which that's a fun little, I think, again, foreshadowing moment. Because Cho Chang does look kind of a little devastated to have to tell Harry now. In the book I, I don't even i don't know if we ever really got a clear picture from book or movie of cho and cedric being a thing i think it's implied in both more i think so in the book than in the movie um but i don't necessarily think that it's relevant until we get more of the harry cho Right. Whatever. Whatever. We're going to call it the whatever because, like, that's kind of what, what it is. <laughs> yes. That, that is 100% what it is. Yeah. Um, but when we actually get to the Yule Ball, because, like, 
like Ron does kind of sort of ask Hermione, but Hermione's like, no, like you're an idiot. I told you I've already been asked by somebody and she won't tell Harry or Ron who she's been asked by. Yeah. Well, Ron also makes it out like, well, you're a girl. I'm a girl. We could go. What? Like, nah, don't ask people out that way. I don't care who you're asking out. Don't ask them out that way. Well, you're a person. Thank you for having eyes to realize that I am a person. I am, in fact, not a blob or a velociraptor. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what? It's the observation that kills me that he's just like, well, you're a girl. What? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Ron. In the book, um, Harry and Ron don't even realize that Hermione's there. Like, they have a whole thing of like, oh, maybe she just told us that she had a date, but she Which didn't is actually get asked. Which is also rude. That's also so rude. Ron's a struggle bus when it comes to relationships with the opposite sex. Yes, and we will learn more about that later with Lavender Brown. <laughs> Um, but like it's when all of the champions are lining up to have um, the, the dance. first dance yeah. that Harry even realizes that Hermione's there and he only realizes it because she's dancing with champion Victor Crumb yep which obviously I kind of would like to see something come from that I know I wasn't mad at that that's that's kind of really all that's like Important. Quote, important at the yeah. at the Yule Ball, um, but then we we get to go to the the second. Oh, we have a second dream regarding Voldemort before we get to the second task, yes. um, which you know prompts a bunch of other things. And then we have the bath scene that we've already discussed. Neville is the one in in the movie that gives Harry the gillyweed. Yes, but in the book it is Dobby who does not exist in the movie. Yes, it's funny in the movie because. When he, when he's like realizing that Harry hasn't come back up for air yet, and he's like, "I killed Harry Potter." <laughs> he's so devastated. He's not ready for it. He was, but the whole like watching Harry go through that transition in the t- in the second task because the second task is they're literally having to go to the bottom of the Black Lake to find something that has been quote taken from them. Something important. Which you have no really idea of like what that is. No. And then you find out it's people. Which, I mean, like, they kind of hint at it in the movie with the fact that Ron and Hermione are asked by Mad-Eye to go see McGonagall. And it was just the two of them, not Harry. And it's like, okay, weird, but okay. I just... And so... Absolutely. Um, I'm a big no on the being like tied up by my legs floating in a lake because I'm important to you thing. <laughs> That's a big no for me. <laughs> it's interesting that the thing that Victor Crumb would miss most is Hermione Granger. He's infatuated with her, I assume. That's kind of the impression I get. Also, right. I kind of get the impression that Victor's not really... um emotionally bright so it's not shocking to me that Hermione would be this kind of new shiny thing that is important to him well and but like the impression that we get of Durmstrang period is kind of no emotion yeah which makes me a little sad for them anyways um, I mean the second task it, it happens Harry tries to be the hero in the book, um, Ron and Hermione kind of chastise Harry a little bit for trying to be the hero um, instead of being like, oh, it's very nice that you, you know, would care that much. But like, dude, you should have just like done the task and moved on. They would have not let anything bad happen to us. Yeah. But. I do think it's notable in, in the book as well as the movie. Um, the person who convinces either Dobby or Neville to give Harry Potter gillyweed is Mad-Eye Moody. Yes. In the book, he just manipulates Dobby into stealing it. Um, And in the movie, he gives Neville a book that he knows will give Neville the idea of gillyweed. Mm -hmm. Because Neville is very much into horticulture. Yes. So those are, those are important things to note. 
Yes. Because it's just more, hey, looky, look, look over here. This is the bad guy. Yeah. But now we get to the third task. The third task, which is a maze. But the... Like the, ta- the task is the same where they're going through a maze, but in the book you have blast-ended scroots, uh, dementors, which is really more, it's just boggards. Like yeah. It takes Harry a second to realize that. Um, and then it, if I, my understanding, because it's what I wrote on my, in my notes, uh, Crum and Cedric have an experience with the Cruciatus curse. And then we have a riddle of the Sphinx. Yeah. And then we have Cedric and Harry having an experience with a spider. Yeah, the acromancy. Before they Yeah, before they get to um the cup. Cuz the whole point like going through the maze is to find the cup and once you find the cup, you win. You touch the cup and you win. Mm-hmm. That is how you win the Triwizard tournament. It's uh very basic. Um in a um very delightful and fun way. Harry and Cedric decide they're both for Hogwarts, so they'll both touch the cup. They'll because it means do they it both together. Win. Yeah, we'll do it together. Um, which ends poorly. Well, and the, the thing is, in the book, it feels more of a win that they do that than it does in the movie. Because yeah. one thing that the movie does not like really touch on at all, like while we do get to meet. Amos Diggory, um, we don't really get to see like all of the pain in the butt nature he has. Yeah. That exists in the book. Um, because in the book, Amos is very, very focused on the fact that when Hufflepuff played Gryffindor the previous year in Quidditch, that Hufflepuff won, but like the whole reason why Hufflepuff won is because Dementors attacked Harry and Harry fell off his broom. Yeah. But because it's like, well, Cedric was the one that stayed on his broom, so he must be the better one. It's like, that's not exactly how that works, sir. When you have something else flying at you. Amos Diggory is very much that dad who like went to Harvard and his son must now go to Harvard and be the best. You have learned from the best, so you will be the best. You are the best. No matter what his son does, he is the best. That's that's very much the energy that Amos Diggory gives off. Well, and he, um, like, he's latched on the fact that my son beat Harry Potter. Like, do you really think that, that this kid is that big of a deal? What's I mean, the like, relevance? You, Your yeah, son it, is, a, is 17 mm-hmm. going up against a 14-year-old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's very focused on the the Harry Potter aspect of it all. Right. And so like that's why the whole Cedric and Harry going for the cup together felt like a more of a win in the book. Because it feels like Cedric is doing it because he's like, I'm not I'm not gonna like fight you for this so that my father will feel like I beat Harry Potter again. If we do it right. at the same time, we both win. But yes, they both do. They both grabbed the cup. Sorry, I went to a Chicago reference and it was not right. Um, they both reached for the gun. They both touched the cup. And apparently, the cup is a board key. Yes. Which is not supposed to be. <laughs> like in my notes, when it comes to the book, I don't. It's unclear to me was Cedric dead upon arriving? Like, with no, the way that I they believe, arrived, they died? Like, I he died? Or he like, still says kill the spare in the book. But I could be wrong. It's like, it just... I listened the, to the, it, literally, so... Yeah, I did too. Um, the, the first time I, like, I have any mention of Cedric's body is chapter 34, where one of the characters just, like, mentions it. But, like, in... The other two chapters where all of this is happening, I have no mention of, like, when Cedric actually died. No, he was murdered by Peter Pettigrew with the killing curse. Okay. So I'm I, almost 100% certain that in even the book, Voldemort, as his 
weird, gooey form, shouts, kill the spare. Which, like, you get to see the whole thing of, like, Voldemort getting to come back to life because of Harry's blood, which is weird. But because he now has Harry's blood flowing in his veins, he can now touch Harry, which he could not touch him before because it was, I don't know. Can we talk about, which, I mean, yes, if you watch the first movie, at the end of the first movie and the first book. It is quite obvious that he cannot touch him. Um, can we talk about Ralph Fiennes as Voldemort? Because this is the first time we see him in his full form. I can touch you now. <laughs> That's another like, this movie's just memeable. Because <laughs> he does it with like his middle finger and his fingers are so long. And we get sort of this Death Eater meeting place. We're all excited the Dark Lord is back. But then, you know, there's that whole fight where, you know, and you have all these different, for lack of a better term, force ghosts, because that's literally what it reminds me of. Um, Wow. No, it's very similar. You're very right. It is very much the end of Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) Where you have all of these different force ghosts telling Harry different things. One of them being being Cedric saying, take my body back to my parents. Which is very aggressive. And maybe a little too dramatic. It's a little macabre. Yeah, I'm like, why do we need that? We didn't need that. So he comes back and Harry starts screaming about how he's back, he's back. And then Mad Eye just kind of like, as more people are like coming in, like swarming around Cedric, Mad Eye just comes in and like pulls Harry away and takes him to his office like there's nothing wrong. Or like trying to separate him from the Yeah, I think he wants to look like he's trying to separate him from everything that's happening because at this point they need to get Harry alone to figure out what happened. Right. Because all he's doing is screaming. He's back. He's back. And he's holding on to Cedric Diggory's dead body, which is its own brand of whatever. And it doesn't take long in the movie, at least to determine that like he's, He's the one behind it. No, they really give that away quickly. Then we go into the whole like Veritas serum and you kind of watch Mad Eye slowly change into Barty Crouch Jr. Because, you know, it's been Barty Crouch all along. Yeah, he had Mad Eye locked in a trunk. But then after all of that happens, uh, they have a memoriam for Cedric. Because Dumbledore thinks it's important that, you know, student body knows how Cedric died. And then there's like a little moment between Harry and Dumbledore. And then everyone, we get to watch the other schools like leave. There's, you know, a cute little moment between Hermione and Victor. And that's kind of the end. That is um, The Goblet of Fire, my favorite book and my least favorite movie. Well. Whether people agree or not, thank you to J.K. Rowling because she did write the book. Um, Even though we had our issues with the movie, thank you to Mike and Steve, who were, you know, director and writer because, you know, they helped bring it to life. They still did a job whether they did it well or not. So thank you. Thank you to everybody who was involved in this movie or this book. Y'all are... The real ones. Um, they definitely had a task before then. We're not going to thank the haircuts in this movie. <laughs> because they were not good. Um, small mention. Just small mention. Um, in all honesty, this is, you know, quite quick little sidebar. Ron's hair matches his dress robes. It does. And that is the weird part. <laughs> <laughs> that is the not okay part about it. Um... Moving on back into thank yous. Thank you to Zakaka for beautiful art, for keeping us pretty, 
for giving us um, the, the things to do the stuff. You're a real one, Zach. And thank you to all of you for tuning into League of Lit. Make sure you follow us at League of Lit Podcast on Instagram. If you have any suggestions for an episode, feel free to leave a comment on leagueoflit.tumblr.com.